And now it's time for Guaranteeing Your Retirement with your host, David Graham from Graham Capital, an estate planning and investment management firm right here in Florida. Here's your host, David Graham. Good morning. This is Dave Graham, the retirement guy, and you're listening to Guaranteeing Your Retirement. On this beautiful day here in the Tampa Bay area, we're finally getting a little rain here and there. Uh, Spring is here. The flowers and the weeds are coming up. What a time. What a great time to, to be in Florida. On one hand up north, it gets to be 80 degrees one day, and then it's snowing the next. Good gosh. Talk about weather patterns changing. And in Miami, Miami's having floods. So I'm glad we live here in the Tampa Bay area. Show is brought to you by Graham Capital Advisors. We're the people that you come to when you're getting ready for retirement and you want to do it properly. You want to do it correctly. You want to take the stress out of it. Let us show you how easy it is. We have well over 100 years of combined planning experience. You know, personally, I've been doing this for well over 40 years. You know, some people say too long, maybe, but the reality of it is that it hasn't changed any. It's a three-legged stool, a trifecta, a holy trinity, call it what you want. Legal, planning, investing. You have to have all three, all three done correctly. And if you do that, I'm telling you, just like my old old buddy, Ted Webb, God bless him, he would say, when you leave our office, the stress will leave your body. That be said, come and see us. We have offices in Tampa and Sarasota and even on Washington, D.C., three blocks from the White House. We'll be up visiting the Capitol. It's Graham Capital Wealth Management up there. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. That's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. All right. I don't know if you saw this one in the news, but a samurai sword fight recently broke out in Brussels, Belgium, when a game of Monopoly went wrong, four people were playing Monopoly on a sidewalk at 5 a.m. when a scuffle broke out. And somehow the Japanese sword became part of the altercation. So several people were taken to the hospital and there were a lot of blood on the sidewalk. Good God. What? Are, now, why are people playing Monopoly at 5 o'clock in the morning on the sidewalk? James, do, uh, are they some of your friends? You never know. I, I used to do that type of stuff. Okay. I, I, I You know what? I, I think you did. And you probably won when you played, too. I did, yes. Oh, Made all boy. the money. All the money. Yeah. That's the infamous James Berlander, the, the prominent producer at iHeartMedia. I'm so lucky to have him help me with my podcast, believe me. Um, fun fact of the week. The average American spends about $70,000 on takeout and delivery in their lifetime. Okay. I, God, I thought I would have spent more than that. Quote of the week. If we command our wealth, we shall be rich and free. If the wealth commands us, we are poor indeed. That's Edmund Burke. And, of course, we always have to have our federal crime of the week. You know, people have tra- tracked to track these tra- crimes down for us. Don't want you to have the feds looking for you. You ready for this one? It's a federal crime to sell bunk beds without a permanent label stating the name and address of the bunk bed maker. Hmm. Guess too many people are falling out of beds and they want to track them down. That's where your tax dollars are going to, sports fans. And last but not least, a history lesson of the week. 
April 15th, 1955, McDonald's opened its first franchised restaurant by Ray Kroc in, in De Plains, Iowa. Okay, let me ask you something. You ever hear of the financial commandments? We know we all know about the Ten Commandments, but I looked at that and I said, let's let's have some fun with this, but maybe I'll get you to think about things. Okay, think of this one. Thou shalt not compare your investments in the stock market without the proper context. What does that mean? If you're invested conservatively, then, then you shouldn't get upset if your portfolio doesn't do well as the market is, as a whole is doing a bull run. That's the trade-off. That's the trade-off for having less risk. But if you're still exposed to the big downturns and still not getting the full, full upside, then you're likely to have a problem that needs to be addressed. It's all about understanding what your investments are supposed to be doing and then deciding if they're doing, doing the right job for you. What about this one? Thou shalt not give up before giving your strategy enough time to play out. You know, some people push the panic button way too quickly and kind of sometimes they allow fear or greed to cause them to make a bad decision. But if you have a defined strategy that's been designed to work over time, you're much less likely to, to make any kind of unfortunate emotional decision. You know, because you got your, you got your act together. Thou shalt not trace big returns later in life. If you're in your 50s or your 60s, it's probably not wise for you to try to achieve some investment returns that you try to go after when you're in your 30s and 40s because you don't have enough time in your timeline to justify the risk that comes with achieving these returns. You lose it. You got to remake it. And that takes time. And as we're getting older, as we all know, we're running out of time. Don't do it. Thou shalt not ignore costs and fees. Investing is never free, but the amount that you pay can vary from one place to the next. You know, many investors overlook the cost and they focus solely on returns. You know, what's better? Uh, what, what's better, getting a return of 8.5% while you're paying a 1% fee or getting a return of 10% while you're paying a 3% fee? Think about that for a second. You know, it's an easy decision, you know, to make when, when you have all the information in front of you, but most people just aren't paying enough attention to fees or aren't digging enough to find out what those fees actually are. Just don't look at the returns. Find out what you're paying. And, that, and then you can start making decisions because you'd have a good idea of what the picture really looks like. You have to be very, very careful now. There's so many people advertising on TV, on the radio, and they're always going to sell you financial products that have insidious fees, but sometimes you can't even find the dang things. You got to read the prospectus. Whoever wants to do that. So go to someone that's a true fiduciary. And if you see somebody overtly spending monies on anything, you know, a flag should go up, especially when it comes to advertising. Thou shalt not overlook the importance of rebalancing and diversifying. Well, it's nice to have some element of an autopilot with your financial plan, but especially if you're not someone who enjoys messing around with investments all the time, but you still want to make adjustments as life changes. Look, let's embrace change because we're going to get it whether we like it or not. So let's try to embrace it and be ready for it. So look, Graham Capital Advisors, we can help you with your needs 
give you the right guidance that you need. Let us help you. Let us show you how easy it is. Let us help you take that one step at a time going forward so you never have to worry about going back. And make sure you're going to the right financial advisor. Financial advisors can have very different philosophies when it comes to investing and retirement planning. You know, if you have an advisor, how would you describe his philosophy? You know, how can someone determine if the advisor, you know, that you're you're interviewing one or possibly working with, that has the same philosophy and fit that you have? You know, you have to ask questions. You know, be be a, a, a knowledge consumer when it comes to your life savings. Now, think of this. How often do you see people who have been working with the wrong advisor to the point where it has a noticeable negative effect on their financial health? That means they're losing money. And let me just say this to you. If you lost money last year, the average person lost between 10 and 20%. If you lost money, please stop doing that. Graham Capital Wealth Management, we had a good year. We're the best of the best. You know, at best, we broke even, but we didn't lose money. And you can be in that position. So go to our website, schedule an appointment. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. James, do we have some emails there? Oh, we've got quite a few today. Let me pull them up. So the first one comes from Karen in Bradington, who also loves listening to uh, to your podcast, she notes. She writes in, I recently inherited an IRA from my dad that has about $150,000 in it. I wasn't expecting this money at all, so I'm thinking about just cashing it out and paying off my house. Is there anything wrong with that idea? Well, if you're talking about cashing in an IRA, if you're under 59 and a half, any withdrawals from IRAs or withdrawals from earnings from a Roth IRAs are all subject to a 10% penalty. And the, pen, the penalty now is waived for inherited IRAs because the SECURE Act 2019, that changed a lot of different retirement account rules, including inherited IRAs. So I guess what I would recommend to you is get good guidance. Come to someone that can see where you're at so you don't make a mistake because the rules keep changing constantly. And and without a doubt, you remember Uncle Sam is broke now, so he's trying to get money every which way from Sunday from you. So come in and see us. Schedule an appointment. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. Good question. Next up is Billy over in Largo. He writes in, our son has some special needs and still lives with us at the age of 32. We've come to the conclusion that he'll probably never be able to live on his own. What kind of planning do we need to do on his behalf for down the road when we're gone. We have two other kids well, who are independent and also doing well. So they've got three kids in, in, in all. Yep. Well, there it is. So, okay. Look, why is it about kids? You've raised them in the same household, same bathroom, same refrigerator, and they're totally different people. It's an amazing phenomena. But with, with your son, this is what I, w- I would recommend. You know, go to an attorney. And you get what is called a special needs trust. A special needs trust, it's a specific type of a trust fund. It's designated to help your son or the beneficiary, anyone with special needs, because you want to make sure that you're not going to hurt their eligibility for government programs down the road, like supplemental uh, social security, social security disability, insurance, Medicaid. So it's important that 
your special needs are taken care of where you don't hurt yourself. And that, that special needs really refers to anyone who is chronically ill or has a physical or mental disability. You know, pr programs like um, S uh, SSDI, Medicaid, they can act as crucial supports for individuals that are dealing with uh, chronic disabilities or, or, or illnesses. But remember, all of these programs have income limits, um, and you just need to know what you have there. And we can help you with that. We do quite a bit of that because remember in our office, we have certified financial planners, certified estate planners. We, we bring the, le the legal in, the law in, to make sure that that's part of your, your program. So come and see us. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. Got time for one more, Jimbo? Yeah, we've got one more. So Camilla in New Tampa, she wrote in, by the way, she just found your podcast last week and she's all caught up already. Uh, she's got, she needs some advice. So she writes in, my job is incredibly high stress and getting worse every month because coworkers in my department are quitting faster than we can hire new people. Now I'm 58 and assume that there's no way that I could retire yet, but I'm considering just walking away for a while and then finding other work later on. Would this be a catastrophic decision for me? Oh, boy. Well, look, companies change like everything else in life. And when companies change, um, if, especially if you're someone that doesn't care to have change, it's going to be incredibly stressful for you, much less the fact that companies then, when they make a major change, they make changes that upset the apple cart. You have relationships with people in the office, and all of a sudden they're rift. That's an acronym for reduction in force. After 25 years, they're, they're out the window. And that bothers people because they think, well, maybe I'm next. I'm next. I'm next. That kind of thing. And who needs to stress? On, in your case, you're 58. I don't ever recommend anyone to be anywhere if they're going through a lot of stress. But life is way, way too short just to keep a job going and you're not happy. So listen to your gut. I always say this. When's the last time you listened to your gut and you did something that you regretted it later? Maybe it is time for you to step back. You make the move instead of the company riffing you off beforehand. <laughs> um, you make the move. But I would, have, I would definitely do my homework and have something to do before you just quit. Don't quit just for the sake of leaving the job. Have a plan that you want to follow. At 59 and a half, you can't get any government monies until, you know, Medicare starts at 62. At, at, at 59 and a half, you're 58 now, 59 and a half. Well, then you can transfer your IRA or your 401k, and you could actually redirect it yourself. Instead of leaving it with, with the company, you actually make more and you'll be much safer. So there's a lot of questions that, that I would need to ask you. Um, don't want you to make a catastrophic decision the wrong way. Come and see us. Just go to our website. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. And online, we have Stosh Graham, the Chief Investment Officer, Managing Director of Graham Capital Wealth Management. That's GrahamCapitalWealth.com on K Street in Washington, D.C. Good morning to you. Good morning, David. Well, I'm looking at the news, Stosh, and I see that the markets, they started to waver after bank earnings and bonds started to slide. So what's going on now? Well, bond yields started to slide. I think that's probably been the biggest takeaway uh, over the last month or so since the, the banking contagion or banking crisis or whatever term you, you want to call it 
you have seen a material separation in what uh, the bond market is expecting of the U.S. economy and what the stock market is expecting of the economy. Bond yields have materially come down, uh, which means bond prices have gone up. And that dynamic happens when you believe there is something bad that's going to happen around the corner in the economy. and It's going to force the Federal Reserve to raise or uh, lower interest rates. Uh, now, I think looking forward, a lot of people obviously have their eye on the May uh, uh, Federal Reserve meeting. I think the expectation is you're going to see an interest rate hike. Um, but look, I, I think when we are weighing what the Federal Reserve is looking at, you have a combination of stubbornly high inflation that while it's coming down, it is still high, higher than the long-run average of the Federal Reserve, which is 2%, with an economy that's clearly slowing. Uh, and what was interesting earlier this week, the minutes from the Federal Reserve meeting in March went public, and there were several comments by Federal Reserve staff that they expect a mild recession later this year. Right. Uh, again, so it's funny. You have the people who are making the monetary policy saying they're expecting a recession uh, right. later this year, and yet you know people are still trying to uh, uh, buy financial assets like stocks, who certainly are the most riskiest of, of all financial assets. No, I know exactly. You know, if the Fed's uh, Goldsby, he says that rate hikes take time to work through the economy. And in the meantime, U.S. factory production now is declining because there's less demand. So, I mean, obviously, something's going to be happening because you, you see too much negativity across the board on all of this. And so I, I guess the question is, if you felt that if it doesn't pick up, you know, we've said this before, the old cliche, go away in May and come back in October. Uh, do you think this is going to be a slow summer? Uh, yes. I mean, every, and, and we've mentioned this before, and, and, you know, we had an event a week or so ago with clients, and that was a popular question. Uh, uh, you know, what is your projections of the economy? And it's, and, and it's a combination of, look, you don't want to be contrarian just to be contrarian, but you have to look at what the data is telling you. Leading economic indicators have been declining now eight of the last nine months and have wow. shown no sign of trying to fight back. Uh, coinciding indicators continue to trend flat, slightly positive. And I think that's why you haven't seen the market really start to capitulate. But in the last couple of weeks, we've seen events which really reinforce our thesis of an economic recession later this year, if not maybe very, very soon. Uh, and that is one, you saw jobless claims get revised for the last few months, and they got revised higher. You saw some seasonal adjustments due to COVID, which earlier this year really suppressed jobless claims figures. Then they actually did a real accounting, and they go, oh, jobless claims in January were higher than what we told you. Jobless claims were higher in February than what we told you. Uh, right. And again, jobless claims, certainly not a leading indicator by any means. But there are leading indicators in the labor market which have been flagging warning signs for the last couple of months. And the, I mentioned the labor market because the labor market is really the last piece of economic data that is giving people comfort to why they should be buying risk assets. And again, you have seen that weaken. And I think the idea is for the labor market, it's going to continue to weaken through the summer. And that has a knock-on effect on the U.S. economy.
No, there's no two ways about it. You know, again, when you know, you have retail sales now, they decline for the second month with fuel, oil, um, something, something is going on. Something won't happen. It's inevitable. There's just way too much out there now that could affect people's monies. You know, I know there's some things I know I always rent, I, I resent rather. I saw where insider loans, they were surging ahead at a lot of regional banks where you have people that are running the banks knowing something's going to be happening. So they're getting those lower interest rates while they can get them, to say the least. And so I guess I guess the question is, if, if this Goldsby said it takes time to work, do you see the rates? Where would you guesstimate the rates to be in September? So that's the battleground right now. Uh, it, I would assume so right now, the futures market is assuming we are going to get about 75 basis points worth of rate hikes in September is the main focus uh, where you should start to see the Federal Reserve capitulate on their policy. Look, inflation continues to remain high. And that was the other part of the FOMC minutes when they were released when, you know, again, people are trying to read their words and saying, OK, well, what does this mean? What does this mean for future policy? And the part that I want to warn people about is really focusing in on uh, or not focus. Don't focus what the Federal Reserve is talking about. Let's not focus on what the Federal Reserve is possibly going to do because you have seen over the last decade, and we talk about it because it's material, but over the last decade, you've seen this Federal Reserve put, the Fed put, you know, buy on dips because the Federal Reserve has your back. And that has changed, and I think people are still struggling with that dynamic. This dynamic for the preceding 12 years is different the last 24 months. This Federal Reserve does not have your back. Fed Chair Jerome Powell has told you that stock markets should be lower, uh, that that put idea that the Federal Reserve is going to come in and protect you, it, that's, just, that's just not there. That's not true. And the lagging effect of interest rates I think is very important, and I'm glad you mentioned it. You mentioned retail sales, too. We've had two months in a row now of retail sales that have been pretty poor, and really the last six months have left a lot to be desired. Those Federal Reserve rate hikes from last summer really have still not been completely felt yet. So if you're trying to estimate what this summer is going to look like, you figure that the Federal Reserve rate hikes of last summer now are going to get felt during the summer, and so then you say, okay, well, what was the Federal Reserve's decision they rose interest rates several times in 50 to 75 basis points, which are material moves. That is not good. When the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, that makes money more expensive. It, it, it makes business investment less. It makes consumption less. And so, again, like you alluded to, the last two months, you've already seen retail sales on a, on a material downtrend. The last six months of retail sales has been weak. What does it look like through the summer well, Federal Reserve policy from the previous summer would indicate that retail shows should continue to weaken because money's more expensive. And when I say that, people go, well, what does that mean? That means credit cards are more expensive. It costs more money to service them, which means you have less money to spend. That's the general knock-on effect to consumption. And why is retail consumption and business investment so important? Because it makes up 70 to 80% of our economy. Sure. Th there you go. Look, there are a lot of uh, investment strategists now are, are saying that this is just another bear market rally that that's going to fail. And don't wait until May to flee the market. Right. But get out now. What's your take on that? If you have equities, 
Uh, so again, I, I think this is the hard part because you, it depends on the person's risk tolerance. It depends on their goals. You could, I'm not, you know, you don't want to provide a blanket recommendation to someone, uh, because every person's situation is just a different, there's a different dynamic. Sure. A lot of people say they want to be conservative. Well, okay. You tell me what you think conservative is. Some people might say, well, I'm conservative. And that means I just want uh, blue chip stocks. Another person might say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm conservative. I don't want any stocks and I only want bonds and CDs. So, you know, it's, it's very difficult, but I think the odds on bet is in the way that we've been positioning clients for the last few months is if I could find a return that is conservative in nature, whether it's a U.S. Treasury, a high-grade corporate bond, SPAC arbitrage, if I could find an investment that makes 55 to 6.5% annualized yield for, say, a one-month or one-year time frame, that looks like a very attractive risk-reward or value compared to the broader stock market. Uh, and maybe we're in a position of luxury because we outperformed so well in 2022 that we're not down 15 or 20% like the average account was last year. I'm not having to chase these rallies to try to make that money back. We're sitting from a position of strength, and we're going to let those other people who are trying to buy into this market, and make no mistake, I know a lot of people will point to sentiment surveys because the sentiment surveys, especially the, the AACI, which is one of the more well-known uh, investor sentiment surveys, is very negative. But people are putting money into this market. You are seeing tens of billions of dollars of net inflows into some of the most speculative areas of the stock market. So again, actions speak louder than words. People are saying they're negative on the market, but they are putting a ton of money into the market, and especially, again, the most speculative parts of the market. Well, th that be said, if they're still investing in the markets, but if you're planning for retirement or close to retirement, like you said, I mean, when you have somebody come into your office that has a risk propensity that is speculative, there are people out there that have that, even though they're 70 years old, um, all you can really do then is give them guidance as far as what you see and make them privy to the fact of what would happen, what would happen if the market does, does have a, have a, a crash because you can't, you know, you, you can't, you try to explain people common sense. And yet in many cases, it's just in their DNA and simply in their DNA to, you know, continue taking, you know, taking risk unnecessarily. And, um, we got right now. I noticed our home prices now are starting to slow up, and they're starting to hold value. Is that just an ephemeral experience, or you think it's they're going to continue to decline or stay steady? Well, I think this the important question here is: is it's going to really depend on the market you're in, and I think that's the most important dynamic of this. I think certain geographies have had such an incredible run the last couple of the last couple of um, uh, years that they are just simply so hot. You see a lot of investment going to those respective, uh, those respective geographies. And naturally, those, those areas need to take a breather. I think it's healthy. A lot of people want to avoid losses at you know, every single chance they can get. Uh, uh, or, or um, again, it, it's a funny dynamic in regards to real estate because the average U.S. citizen 
has more exposure to real estate than they do actually the stock market. Right. Uh, and that's why a lot of monetary policy members focus on real estate prices. Now, nationally, real estate prices have gone down, but that makes sense because the winter months are the quietest time of the year for real estate. But again, you have seen certain areas where you've already seen in the last month a stabilization in price and an uptick in the amount of people filing for mortgages because mortgage rates have come down 1% to 2% uh, off very high levels from what we saw five or six months ago. Uh, so again, you know, people are willing to take mortgages in the 5% range. And I think if we look back at the last 40 years, your mortgage was, your average mortgage rate was 5%. Uh, mm -hmm. a, 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 a two to three percent mortgage was the outlier. Right. Well, you know, uh, we had someone come in this week that was a listener to this podcast and he said, well, your son's in Washington. Well, why don't ask him what's going on with the Washington, Washington commanders. So what the name of the team is now, uh, a football team and that Snyder is selling the team for $6 billion. Is that going to be going through? Uh, I mean, your your guess is as good as mine. My assumption is yes, that would be happening, uh, and it's something we will keep a very close eye on as we uh, as we move to uh, uh, as we move to the winter meetings. Which again, uh, six billion dollars is is quite the haul for I think one of the more prominent franchises in the NFL. Right. Do you know who the, it's being sold to? Uh, the, the rumored group is uh, one of the co-founders of Apollo Global, one of the largest private equity firms in the world, uh, Magic Johnson, and I believe a, a D.C.-based uh, 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 real estate developer. Okay, George. Well, you got it, got it from the man himself. He's telling you what's going on here. Stash, when you look at the overall situation of our economy, when you look at all of these bellwether things that you're looking at that are giving you direction and guidance for the average person doesn't understand 90% of it, but you know, you, you know, you thrive on it, your gut feeling, your true gut feeling of where we're going to be by the end of the year. What does your gut tell you? Uh, stock market lower because we'll be in a recession. Uh, I think with, as the lean indicators continue to deteriorate, throw a banking a crisis on top of it. Warren Buffett was interviewed on CNBC earlier this week, and he says the banking crisis is not over, uh, but the depositor money is safe. I think the the dynamic how we could tie both of those ideas together is yes, your deposits are safe, uh, but bank earnings, especially for the non-government systematically important banks, those particular financial firms. Uh, the, the regional banks, the community banks, their earnings are in the penalty box for a couple quarters, and their balance sheet is probably in the penalty box for a year. And that has a knock-on effect to the U.S. economy because those small regional banks, uh, or even the super regionals, are some of your biggest loaners to small businesses, to real estate developers building buildings, doing construction projects. And so the economy will take a hit. Uh, it, it might be a mild hit, but it will take a hit from banks being less willing to lend 
And if you are willing to lend to someone, the bank is going to, it's just going to charge you more. And so there is a knock on effect negatively to the U.S. economy at a time when the downtrend is already starting to be very apparent. So the chances of a more severe recession later this year and that impact on corporate earnings uh, is higher than where it was a couple months ago. Right. Do you feel now that with you know, the government bonds, U.S. government bonds, they're not as, as risky in some cases as they were in the past couple of weeks, you know, the, with the movement? And no, U.S. Be- government bonds, yeah, U.S. government bonds are not, uh, from a credit perspective, it's not, even with the, the, the possibility of a government shutdown later this year in a systematic default, U.S. government securities are fine. Uh, but... I think the dynamic that people have to consider with government securities or U.S. Treasuries in particular is that you've seen the interest rate on the U.S. Treasury fall so much, uh, the two-year, the 10-year, they've fallen so much the last couple of weeks that uh, it would not be shocking to see those rates, especially on the 10-year, move up a little bit for a couple months, of which then if you're looking for a short-term flip on these 10-year U.S. Treasuries, you might have a – you might be selling – if you buy now and sell in a couple months – you might be uh, uh, selling at a loss because of the interest rate movements. But I think the overarching dynamic of why I don't believe interest rates are going to fall as norm as they normally do on, say, the two or the 10-year U.S. Treasury uh, is because of the amount of outstanding debt relative to our economy. It is pressing – I mean, it is at modern highs. Uh, it's pressing Great Depression highs. And there is a feedback loop on having to issue more U.S. treasuries uh, in the market just to facilitate your debt uh, and your growing deficit. Uh, And so when you have a supply-demand imbalance where there's more supply of U.S. treasuries to finance the debt and deficit, where demand might not be growing at the same rate, well, that puts a higher floor on interest rates. Uh, Again, the average U.S. recession – the 10-year U.S. Treasury falls about 150 to 170 basis points. So at the high point of the 10-year U.S. Treasury, which was last summer, it was 4.1%. That would imply a mid to high 2% range on the 10-year U.S. Treasury. We're in the mid to low threes now. I'm not too sure how much lower it can go. I don't think you're going to see it in the twos just because later this summer and in the fall, we're going to, and, and then continuing next year, we're going to see a major ramp up of the amount of U.S. Treasuries being issued at a time when foreign demand for U.S. Treasuries is not as high as it once was, say, a decade ago. Sure. Well, wouldn't a, with government uh, bonds, for example, if they're going to start easing up and becoming more stable, wouldn't that fuel uh, a rebound, let's say, in corporate borrowing, companies borrowing money again? Well, it depends on the company's corporate credit risk. And I think that's, that is the very important dynamic of where we expect um, the economy and corporate earnings to be. And again, this is the knock-on effect of the Federal Reserve having the steepest rate hike in, in modern history. Uh, and again, I think that is another important dynamic. You know, a lot of people talk and they'll talk about the 80s. Uh, and they'll say, well, look, you know, shoot, the federal funds rate is barely at 5%. I remember a Fed funds rate at 9 to 10%. You know, right. it's, not, it's, it's not as punitive, but, it's like, it, but the, the retort should be, well, no, but we went from zero to five in the shortest time span in, in uh, actually U.S. history in terms of monetary policy when the Federal Reserve was created. That has a negative effect. 
if your business is is used to you know one to two percent Fed funds rates uh, and and you know one to two percent U.S. Treasury rates uh, for say the preceding decade, and now you're facing five percent, uh, that that change of cost of capital, in particular the cost of the debt, is punitive to your earnings. And while it might be a slow bleed, it's a bleed. It's not a tailwind that it once was. And now I think that forces certain types of companies to have a really, um, a really honest talk amongst itself in the board of directors on how they should ha- maintain their capital structure, which for a lot of people will be, we need to raise equity. Anytime a business raises equity, that dilutes the existing shareholder, which means a lower stock price, because those companies need to maintain uh, a leaner because the the board or the senior management team has said, hey, look, for the survivability of this firm, we need to raise equity now to make a leaner balance sheet so we have more capital to use that is not debt focused. Sure. Well, you're talking now yourself with your own portfolio. You're looking at bonds again. And, you know, people are, are starting to invest in bonds. You could just see the numbers once they kind of figure it out, you know, because we've had years of low returns and now, now bonds are actually paying real money again. And so as people get to understand where bonds are at, it's not they're no longer like you, you buy it and you forget about it. You have to keep monitoring it. I imagine you're you're monitoring it constantly, you know, because the old classic 60-40 investment strategy for retirement, well, that doesn't apply anymore only because of what is really going on. So when you have someone come into your office focusing on retirement, and they're a, a moderate to a conservative investor, then when they look at bonds, they look at stocks, what, what advice do you give them as far as them listening to their gut on how they should invest their monies? Well, so I, again, I think the premise would be, this is what I'm putting my fiduciary hat on, we need to have a discussion about what your investment goals and objectives are. Uh, so in this instance, what would you say that that person's goals or investment objectives would be? Well, that's a good question. Um, they're, they don't want to lose it. They're close to retirement, but they want to get that good 5 6 7% return. And in today's market, so, obviously, you know, they get 5% in a, in, a, in a CD for about next six months, I guess. What do you tell them? Well, those rates have come down. Uh, so you're not seeing 5% anymore on U.S. Treasuries or, or CDs. You're seeing probably mid to low fours. And again, it depends on the bank. And I think people now are very sensitive about the banks that they, where they put their money. Uh, so the job of finding, say, 5 6 6.5% in concerted investments is tougher than where it was, say, 60 days ago. Uh, because, as you mentioned, you could buy U.S. government agency bonds, which have the implicit support of the U.S. government, and you can make 5.5%. Um, and you're just not seeing those now. Right. Uh, but, again, I think between different strategies, finding high-grade corporate bonds that already have the liquidity in place to uh, retire an existing bond maturity, say, for example, for us, we are really focusing in on the short end of the yield curve or time frame on corporate bonds. I would rather own a bond for one to one year to 18 months, one and a half years, than have a bond worth five or six years. Uh, it's just it's not worth taking that interest rate risk, that duration risk, because 
corporate bond spreads, while they have increased, and when I say corporate bond spreads, I mean the difference between the risk-free rate and what that corporate bond is yielding, what that interest rate is for the same time frame. And that spread is still historically low. Right. Now, it is certainly the spread is larger than where it was, say, eight months ago, uh, but it is still historically low, and it is not consistent with how wide spreads get if we do figure out we're in a recession, which, again, the Federal Reserve themselves are telling you they're expecting a recession. Jamie Dimon, just Friday morning on J.P. Morgan's earning call, said he's expecting a recession the data is telling us you should expect a recession. Uh, the question is when, and does the risk profile of your investment portfolio consistent with your risk tolerance? Does, is it consistent with your investment objective? And most importantly, how would those assets react if we do enter a recession? And I think that is probably the most important question for someone who's a do-it-yourselfer or has assets at another firm, are you comfortable holding these positions through a recession? Because through times of economic recession, the market gets very volatile, very fast, and it is tough to sell positions uh, without taking a material loss. So I think, again, coming back to our ideology and how we're going to invest for someone who doesn't want to lose it, we have to ask ourselves, if I'm investing in this position right now, and I expect to hold this for at least one year, and there's a recession that's going to happen between both of these time points, how is this asset going to react during this period? And if the answer is poorly and take a material loss or unrealized loss, then it's not worth it because there are asset classes, whether it's short-dated corporate bonds that are high-grade, uh, uh, tax-municipal bonds that are high-grade, uh, uh, municipal bonds, if it's in a, in a, a non-qualified account. U.S. Treasuries and U.S. government agency bonds were really a story for 90 days ago, less so now. Um, right. But the, and, and SPAC arbitrage, which we've talked about numerous times over the last year, you know, those would be the, the asset classes and in, in strategies of interest for us for the situation you, that you laid out, David, which would be someone who doesn't really want to lose it, looking at 5%, 6%, and believes that there's an economic recession, but doesn't want to take material risk where a year later after this recession, they're down 10 to 15%. Exactly. Well said, Stash. As always, we appreciate your sound sage advice and go raise here in the Tampa Bay area. And uh, we'll be talking to you next week. You take care. Absolutely. Take care. See you now. If you're a new listener, you're listening to Stash Graham. He is our chief investment officer, managing director of Graham Capital Wealth Management. That's GrahamCapitalWealth.com in Washington, D.C. And look, what you got is what you got. You don't want to lose it. And if you lost money last year, well, you know what? If your head is hurting, I have a suggestion. Stop hitting the wall with it. We can help you with that. Um, Stash, when he manages assets, he always looks at not losing it. And to do that, you have to remember your age, the time of life you're in. And do you need the stress? Do you need the stress of riding the Wall Street roller coaster? I don't think so. I don't think so. You know, his, his company was one of the very few in America last year that didn't they get clobbered. The average portfolio was down 10 or 20%. You should not be doing that if you're in retirement years. Let us help you. Go to our website, schedule an appointment. It's Graham Capital. 
www.ministriesadvisors.com. You really want to be lucky in life? Go help someone. God's going to smile on you. You're going to get to be incredibly lucky. We're lucky to be Americans. It's right on our currency. In God we trust. Good luck. God bless. Take care of each other. Stay safe out there. See you next week. This program is sponsored by Graham Capital Advisors, LLC. Graham Capital Advisors, LLC is an independent estate planning and insurance agency. Investment advisory services are provided by Graham Capital Wealth Management, LLC, an independent registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Graham Capital Wealth Management and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The information provided is for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute Institute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. Individuals should consult with a qualified professional for guidance before making any purchasing decisions.